talk about in the book that, that we have two choices, literally two choices. There's not a third choice. And this can kind of give us the framework of why it's so important, no matter how old you are, it's time now. Yeah, exactly. So, I, so I, I, what I basically say in the book is we can choose to make our health and fitness a priority now or it will make itself a priority later because eventually dysfunction, disease, and we are going to have to deal with that. And I know that sounds a bit uh, morbid, but, but it is the truth. And, and so the time that we give to our health and fitness now, we shouldn't view that as a luxury, as a self-indulgence, mm -hmm. or even as something that's selfish. You know, I, I've heard from many women over the years who are very busy, they're working, they're busy around the house, they're um, spending a lot of time, you know, having to get the kids ready and for, for school and for activities. And, and they, in particular, can, can struggle internally with figuring out where they can fit workouts, for example. And if they are going to do that, sometimes they feel guilty that instead of working out, instead of doing something selfish, they should be doing something for their kids, something else for their kids, something maybe for their, for their husband or otherwise. Um, women, women tend to be maybe more selfless uh, than, than men in general. I think that's generally true. And, mm -hmm. and so, so I talk about in the book that I think we need to, to reframe uh, health Thanks. and fitness and, and not look at it again as something that is merely for vanity, for example. Like, yes, it is, it is <clears throat> nice to, to look good and look the way you want to look, but there are many, many other reasons, many, many other more important whys for, uh, for staying fit than just having nice muscles, you know? Totally. I love how you say it. not selfish. It is selfish if you don't make time for your health and then long term you're going to be sick and you're going to be in the hospital and you won't be able to take care of your kids. That's great, man. And and just the whole like, yeah, but people think it's selfish for the body composition. No, it, if you look good, you feel good. And that's why I have a big issue with what people are putting out there now. And they'll say, uh, yes, of course, love your body and don't beat yourself up. But that doesn't mean eat 19 cheeseburgers and ice cream sundaes and then post on social media that you're loving your body. No, our body's a temple to be taken care of. It's not just to blast it and then say, hey, this is me loving my body. Anyways, that's a whole nother story there. I'm sure you probably yeah, agree yeah, with that's, that. That's, that. Yeah, that's the, you, it's the extreme end of that health at, at any size movement, right? You have the, yeah. the, the maximalists who will say, health at literally any size no matter what for anyone and and that that is that's silly it, it's uh, completely silly. yeah it's completely unscientific and it's also at odds with just everyday life the evidence we see all around us and what what is true though is that there are ranges of healthy body weights and more more importantly i talk about this in the book body composition i'm not actually too i think a lot of people and particularly a lot of women have been indoctrinated into caring too much about their yep. body weight and not understanding body composition at all simply because it's it's it, it has not been talked about very much over the last couple of decades and body composition is how your body weight breaks down into 
primarily what we're concerned with is muscle and fat. Technically, it would include bones and it would include water and some other stuff, but we're, we're primarily concerned with muscle and fat. And what I talk about in the book is if we can get your body composition to where we want it to be, we don't need to be very concerned with our weight. If what we see in the mirror is what we want to see, and if our, if we are healthy, and that can be confirmed through blood work, for example, and you can look at various biomarkers, um, then we'll just let weight sort itself out. And, and many women have been very surprised uh, over the years, women I've worked with and, and just kept tabs on, at how much they weighed at the other end of their own personal transformations. Many women have been shocked to weigh more or less the same. And if you look at their before and after, before unfit, maybe not obese, but just unfit, never never worked out, never really tried to get into shape. After very fit, body weight within five pounds. Uh, maybe they, you know, maybe a woman started at 140, maybe she's a shorter woman. Now she's like 135 and she's super fit. And one of the reasons for that is muscle is very dense. So a pound of muscle doesn't take up as much space as a pound of fat. So when you are stripping away fat and adding muscle, you can, I mean, your average woman, I'd say the physique that she's after um, requires probably about 10 or 15 pounds of muscle gain in the right places on her body and bringing her body fat percentage down to maybe 20 to 25%. 25% is going to be a little bit softer, a little bit more curvy, um, certainly not, not overweight, still fit, whereas 20% is going to be a little bit more muscle definition, a little bit more toned, I suppose you could say, maybe a little bit more of an athletic look. And, and it just kind of depends on, a, on personal preference. But um, the, as far as our health goes, body composition is more important, more important. And there's a range of body fat levels that are perfectly healthy. Like I mentioned, 20 to 25% perfectly healthy, um, probably even up to maybe 30% could be perfectly healthy. If a person also has other good habits, that's for women. And for men, you could think about a range of 10 to 20%. Uh, and it mostly then just comes down to how you want to look and how you want to live because different lifestyles are more or less conducive to different body compositions. So if a guy wants to be, or a gal wants to be very lean, they're going to have to live a little bit differently than somebody who doesn't care to be very lean. Oh, you know that feeling you get when you just wake up and you are not rested or recharged? Yeah, we all have it. We all go through it. How do I wake up with full energy every single day? It is literally the game changer itself chilly sleep. I have an Uller that goes underneath my mattress and cools my body temperature to the ideal temperature to get deep sleep, REM, high HRV scores. Now I have mine pretty cold at about 57 degrees. The optimal level is between 57 and 65 degrees. I have a weighted blanket, which is cools my body and I'm just sleeping in restorative sleep. So when I wake up in the morning, no matter how many hours I get, I am juiced up and ready to go. And lucky for you, you can wake up the same way. The people at Chili Sleep are giving you a discount, giving you a code. So go to chilitechnology.com forward slash pages forward slash David Nurse to get your special discount pricing there. Remember, that is chilitechnology.com forward slash pages forward slash David Nurse. Or just click the link below and it'll take you right there. 
and sleep like a polar bear tonight. Get the best night's sleep of your life. Chilly sleep. Yeah. If we want if we want to get down to the to the nuts and bolts of of fat gain, right? So a pound of fat has about thirty five hundred calories worth of energy. And so if we're gonna gain a pound of fat, we know that we at least have to eat about 3,500 more calories than we have burned over a period of time, right? Because uh, our body needs to get that excess energy to store as new body fat somehow, right? It's gotta come from the food that we're eating. Now, it actually works out to be more than that for, for various reasons. So you probably have to eat uh, maybe about 4,500 more calories than you burn just to gain a pound of fat. Now, for people who aren't familiar with 4,500 calories, um, a large pizza is probably two to 3,000 calories, for example, a whole pizza. So we're talking about eating one and a half big cheesy pizzas, maybe, over right the energy that, 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 that we're burning. So if, nice. if you go and you eat a bunch of food, right? Well, how much fat can you really gain from one bout of overeating? Well, there's the calories that I just mentioned. Uh, and then there's also, there are, there are, there are physiological limits to, because your body has to, what, what fat cells, they actually, what they do is they, they expand and they shrink. So when we get fatter, our fat cells are expanding. There are now more fatty acids stored in these cells uh, that, that can be burned for energy. And when we lose fat, those fat cells are shrinking. The fatty acid count goes down, right? So our body, there are processes that it uses to synthesize those fatty acids and to put them in the fat cells. And it can only do so much of that, right? So the bottom line is, no matter how hard you try, I, I would say, I wish there was like, one definitive study I could point to on this, but I have looked into some overeating research. I think it's fair to say that in an entire day of overeating, and I'm talking about eating like 8,000 calories or more in a day. So that's basically all you're doing is eating all day. I think maybe you could gain one, maybe one and a half, probably no more than two pounds of fat in a day if all you did was eat really fatty, high calorie foods all day. So if we look at an individual meal and you ate even a couple thousand calories more than you wanted to, yeah. for example, um, you're just not looking at that much mm. of a difference. You're going to gain a little bit of fat. Okay, big deal. And you just move on. That only becomes a problem if it becomes the rule, not the exception. What are your non-negotiables that you're doing on a daily basis, your habits, your process that just mm. make you the freaking superstar you are. You know, a macro level, this stuff has been cool because like, even when I was in CrossFit, I really enjoyed it. And I was, I was a good front man for it. And for the paleo movement, I, I think, um, I try to be as honest as I can. I try to think, find things that I believe in and, and I don't need to spin a lot of stories. Also, I'm really good about couching things in. This is the best of my understanding today. And then if things change, then like I'll, I'll update my position. I'm like, oh, I had this thing totally wrong. Like I thought that this it, it was X and it was actually Y. And so um, I think that in general, I've been able to, to build some credibility around that. And, and uh, when you believe in something and also when something has some uh, 
fairly rapid benefit for people. Like people change their diet and they start feeling better. They start working out and they get the community like they do in CrossFit. Like the, the results are really, really immediate. Element's cool in that regard because if you're electrolyte deficient and you're feeling like garbage, you take some and like five or 10 minutes later, you feel good. So it, it's this really nice, you know, beneficial synergy on that. And, you know, I'm not, I, I guess I have a little bit of a, like a daily process. We have two kids, seven and nine years old, two daughters. And so that introduces a little bit of randomization into the equation. We're homeschooling also. So like my day is definitely very um, segmented, but I get up and try to do, if I'm going to do any type of creative work, like reading a research paper, trying to, trying to think about uh, just different ideas. And really I, I try to read in health and nutrition for sure, but like economics, history, physics, like I try to pull from a lot of different areas because I'll get inspiration from something that doesn't seem related to health and wellness, but I can, I can pull in a parallel and, and maybe tell a story around that. But I really try to do that stuff early in the day. Like that just seems to be when my, my gears are, are really turning on that. And I try to push all of the, uh, non-negotiable, but, but kind of menial stuff to later in the day, basic email and any type of like social media curation that, that I need to do. Like I can kind of be on autopilot at that point and kind of smoked and, and I can still pull that off. Um, I try to get some type of physical movement around noon or one o'clock each day, maybe three or four days a week. That's going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, my wife is into that and, um, the, the two daughters are, into jujitsu, but their class is a little bit later. So like, that's a big piece of what we do. Um, tried to take dog for a hike, get outside, all that type of stuff. But I mean, I'm not one of these uber regimented folks. Like I, I kind of like a little bit of, I like some structure, but I like things being open-ended enough that like, if I get an idea, I, I would like to be able to just clear out the schedule, clear out the time and really go deep on that because when you've been doing this stuff for like 23 years you you come up with I think early in one's career you come up with some kind of big heavy hitting ideas but then it, it, at some point unless you I've never been the person that either um like god bless Barry Sears he's a great guy he's the guy that wrote the the zone book and he he's contributed a lot to the world but he had the zone, then he had mastering the zone, and then he had like the green bean zone, and then the string bean zone, and then the soybean zone, you know, and it, it was it was like exactly the same stuff with just this tiny little tweak on it, you know, and I just, ha I, I find that so uninteresting, and I'm still the idiot that writes my own books, like somebody else doesn't like sit down and interview me and ghostwrite them, like I'm actually the person that writes them, so if I'm, it's enough pain that I actually want to do something interesting and like the process of learning and everything is interesting. So again, I, I kind of benefit from some structure, but at the same time, if I get excited about something, I want to be able to just go deep on it because finding new ideas that aren't just like saying ridiculous stuff, you know, it is tough at some point. Like we've got this basic template of, of, uh, nutrition, you know, be protein forward, figure out if you run better on carbs or fat or a combo, be aware that some foods can be kind of immunogenically challenging, like gluten and dairy, like it can irritate your gut and some people and cause some other problems. And that's almost like 98% of all of nutrition right there. Like all the complexity, all these different studies and everything, but that's, that's most of nutrition. 
so if I still want to have something valid to say about it, like I, I need to put some thought into it. So I'm not just like spinning off what, what I would consider to be garbage. Um, one of my great terrors is to be the, the nutritional equivalent of like an eighties hairband that should have required retired in 1991. And they're still doing like the next reunion show in like 2001 or something. And I, I, I would just be horrified with that. Like I would way rather just like pack up shop, become a farmer, do like anything else versus just like bleeding this thing with a, a bunch of bullshit. So I think that that's actually kind of a, a major guiding light that if I can't provide some legit value um, and still be like honest and forthright and everything, then I'm done. Like it, it's time to change, change gears, change careers and all that stuff. Myself as an athlete and working with NBA teams and NBA players, like everybody thinks like, oh, they're drinking Gatorade. They're drinking Powerade. No, they're not. They are not. They understand the optimization is not in pouring a bunch of sugar down your throat. It is a magnesium, potassium, sodium with the salt that gives you the benefits. So, yes, that was a very, very in-depth, well-rounded answer. If you not want to check out Element after this, then I can't help you get out of here. There's something wrong with you. But, no, Rob, having you on this podcast and letting my, letting my audience know you were coming on, everybody wanted to know what is the deal with keto carnivore paleo the ideal diet and i know this can be this can be a conversation be a day conversation in itself so to debunk the myths of myths where you see people on instagram calling themselves colon or liver man and looking jacked like what what's the best approach to have if you could say really the one that folks are going to stick with at the end of the day. And I know that that's kind of a schmarmy non answer, but all of these, all of these things, what do the, what does veganism, paleo carnivore, what do these things all have in common? You're excluding certain things. And as, as much of a rash as that gives to like dietitians and the standard dietetics model, like the, if you go into a, a, a department of nutritional dietetics, those people are terrified at suggesting that we should limit some food groups. What they think you need to do is eat anything you want and just limit the, purport, the amount that you consume. And in a modern, hyper palatable, engineered food environment, like what's the Lay's potato chip tagline? Bet you can't eat just one. And I'll take that bet all fucking day long. Like I, and they, they just keep winning. And, and this is where um, dietitians, although well-intentioned, uh, there's a, a really brilliant woman, Gretchen Rubin, who, who uh, the, the four tendencies, and, and uh, uh, she talks about like abstainers versus moderators as kind of a personality type. When she's done research on this, dietitians are 98% moderators. They're people who are like, they can have one Oreo cookie and put the, the cookie bag back in the, the cabinet and not go to it until the next day when they get their one long cookie. Now, I think these people also have wardrobes made out of human skins because these people are so weird that they must be like a serial killer also. But like the, the reality, though, is that at best, 50% of the population is a moderator. And even on the moderation versus, like some people, they just can't have it. And for me, I'm not really that that motivated by sweet stuff, like cookies and everything. Yeah, they're good, but I've never met a plate of nachos I didn't like. 
and man, I, I've been in front of some pretty horrible nachos, but like I eat them all. If you get me some, um, that kettle corn that is sweet, salty, and crunchy, it doesn't matter how big the bag is, you know, like there is no off switch on that. There's no moderating that. If I have a bag of kettle corn in my house, I'm going to eat it all. And so, you know, for, again, whether it's paleo or vegan or all, you know, the one thing that these things have in common is they're kind of limiting food options to some degree. If you can weigh and measure your food and you can eat a quarter of a Twinkie and that keeps you within your macronutrient ratios, great. But from like kind of a public health standpoint and, and helping the masses, I just don't see that really helping all that much. And so these other approaches that kind of narrow options, I think empower people. Oddly enough, I, I think it's more liberating because it's like, I just need to stay within these, these lane lines. And usually what happens a couple of months or maybe a year goes by and people figure out if I keep protein adequate, which I think is really the biggie, like in almost nobody's eating adequate protein. A lot of people are fearful of eating protein. And I think that this is so much of the problem that we get, but once people figure out how to eat adequate protein, they usually then figure out, Oh, these carbs probably do a little better for me than these carbs, or maybe I run a little bit better on fat. Maybe I do protein, nuts, and some berries for a lot of my my meals, or you you know whatever it is. But they usually start with one of these kind of extreme resets, and then they kind of migrate towards something that looks a little bit more normal and a little bit more mainstream. But they it, you know if they've gotten some benefit from this kicking the tires on something they usually get kind of a quantum shift. They kind of move a little bit more in a protein centric whole food kind of, kind of orientation. And you know what, one thing to keep in mind for a lot of people who end up say like in carnivore land, these people have a lot of gut issues. Like they have a lot of GI problems and whatnot, and they've maybe tried everything, standard medicine, you know, colonoscopies, all this stuff. And then they go carnivore and all of a sudden for the first time, maybe in 20 or 30 years, they have normal bowel function. They're, they're not in constant pain. They don't have all this gas and bloating. And those are the people that can become, they, they become like carnivore dude 609, you know, like their whole persona is wrapped up in this because it really changed their life. Now it's kind of cringeworthy because you're like, okay, that's not going to age well, like in three or four years. But, but you also, I think we have to step back and kind of acknowledge the individuality. Like the person was sick. They figured out something that worked for them. And now they're motoring forward and, and kind of, you know, figuring out maybe some latitude with it. Feeling when you are just recharged, you don't have any sickness, no ailments. You have full optimal energy. You are functioning at your highest level. You want to recreate that? Yeah, sure. You do. I do. We all do. And then you can times it by 10. What I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. So hold on here. This This is real hyperbaric chamber if you don't know what it is look it up right now look up eleve health e-l-e-v-e health.com it's an oxygen miracle what it is hbot the hyperbaric chamber it's a simple and non-invasive therapy where you go into this it places a body in a pressurized environment that allows extra oxygen to dissolve in the blood plasma and travel freely throughout your circulatory system, getting more red blood cells flowing naturally to the body's function. It's going to help you 
kill off any harmful bacteria. It's going to help you detox, increase your oxygen concentration, resist and fight infection, heal wounds faster, improve oxygen supply, reduce swelling, stop infection, lower inflammation, all while you're relaxing in the chamber. I, I, I kid you not, this is what the pros, the top Olympic athletes, what everybody uses for the highest optimization recovery. This is called Hyperbaric Chamber HBOT from Eleve Health, E-L-E-V-E Health.com. Message me separately too if you want to get a specific deal on this. Check it out as you're a sports team, if you're an individual, if you're just somebody who loves optimization, it will be an absolute life changer for you. We love our jobs. We have passions for what we do, but you still got to be able to step away from that. Because if you just are a thousand percent into it all the yeah. time, you will burn out at some point. And I've been close to that a few times in my career, and that's not a place you ever want to get to. So you have to have other hobbies, other things you just enjoy doing away from that. And I have this discussion with, with clients all the time, whether they're an athlete, whether they're a CEO, whether they're a competitor. Um, you ask them what their hobby is and what they enjoy doing. Even coaches, coaches are a huge, a big problem with this. And then they'll say something. Well, I like to read books. What kind of books you like to read? And they'll say something fitness related. I was like, no, no, that you're, you're not getting it. Like completely away from what you are doing now in your career. And it's very hard for people to disconnect. I mean, I understand for sure, but it's so important to be able to disconnect from that. You know, you're so involved in on a day to day basis that over time you will burn out if you don't step away. Um, it's great to have passion for something, but you got to enjoy other things in your life. So that passion stays your passion and you stay good at it because you can become like a yes man to where you're saying yes to all kinds of things within that career path that can burn you out because uh, you're not taking time to yourself to stay, step away, whether it's to be with family, friends or whatever. Um, so you got to be able to do that to be a better version of yourself. Uh, to help people and doing whatever you do, obviously, as your own career. Um, so, like, for me, it's doing the things. Like, that's why I built a movie room in my house, because I love movie. It's, I, can, I can disconnect so easily just to go in there, hang out with my wife and my cats, and just, you know, forget about everything else that I do for a couple of hours, or if I'm off, or, or maybe four hours, it depends on what I'm watching, but it's easy for me to disconnect that way. And then like myself and my wife love to travel. So even if it's for like one or two days, like just to get away um, for somewhere and just allows us to disconnect, you know, no uh, work, laptop work mm -hmm. or anything, reboot, refresh, reset. So you're going to be better when you go back to your job. Alan, I love that answer. I think we, I, I want to dive into that and then we'll spin it back to how you got into this. But the recharge, like I don't think God messes up. He didn't create the world in seven days, it's six days, one day to recharge and rest. And I, I, I remember back when Carl Malone and John Stockton were my favorite players, the pick and roll, you probably remember that time. Carl Malone would say every off season, he'd go out in the woods, he'd chop wood, he'd be like a lumberjack and get away from basketball. And I was like, why would he do that? But you come back so much more refreshed and recharged and in a world of, you got to constantly do, you got to rise and grind, you got to outwork. It's the hardest thing for people to do. You probably see that, right? In just high performance, people just completely burning out where they miss the whole purpose of 
hey, the only way to actually get to where you want to get to is you have to take a break. You have to recharge. Do you yeah, see, you see anything? Right? Yeah. I mean, if you want to improve your physique, if you want to improve your health or anything like that, you have to have back off periods and, and reset periods. If not, it's, it's very short lived. Do you think that is the main thing that people struggle with? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, well, it's today's society, right? Cause you, like you said, it's go, go, go. It's nonstop. People say yes to too many things. Uh, they get overwhelmed because they just want to do more. Um, and that's not a negative thing by any means, but at the same time, you can only sustain that for so long. And then you start getting all the negative consequences. The problem with that is people aren't seeing the actual negative consequences until it's almost, it's not too late, but they're, they dug themselves into a pretty deep hole to get out of, whether it's from a mindset perspective or a health perspective, and typically them two go together. Um, and then it's like, you know, obviously that's part of what we do um, is to help them learn strategies, um, re-teach them how to do things properly to manage that stuff. Because, you know, we're not telling you to stop your job or quit or, you know, not do what you love or whatever. But you've got to be able to manage things a lot better and strategize what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, month-to-month basis, whatever, and be able to create that sustainability long-term and keep your health on point. Because you can do everything in the world that you want to do for everybody else and improve their lives. But if you can't take care of your own self, then what's that worth? Because then all of a sudden you're not going to be able to do anything at that point in time. Mm. So you have to, you have to put yourself first at times. And like, you know, mothers are the worst at this Mm. because they want to, they're the caregivers. They want to do everything for everybody, take care of the house, the kids, you know, pay the bills, whatever they need to do, saying yes to the family and friends. And they never, ever back down. And, And, you know, people do that too much, too often. And then, we see the brunt of it and it's hard. It's for everybody. It's for the NBA players, for the CEOs, for the actors, the TV talk shows, you know, everybody in between it, it's everybody. We've seen it. I've seen, I, there has yeah. probably hasn't been any demographic I haven't worked with or coached at this point in my career. I, like, I've pretty much touched on everybody at this point. So I've seen it all. I've seen all the behind the scenes yep. of the good and the bad. So I know what to expect nowadays on what I get when I see a client and they come to me with these issues. Yeah. So, I mean, when you talk about metabolic health, you're, you're talking about all the inner workings of the internal systems, right? So people will say the word metabolism and they, they hear that, but they don't really know what that means. Um, so it's all systems working together in harmony, right? Um, it's like a symphony your body's playing. So you have what we want, we want, we call hormonal alignment, right? So you have things or systems that work off one another. So you have your adrenals, your pituitary gland, you have your, for females like ovaries, um, guys, obviously their testes, uh, all the sex hormones, testosterone, progesterone, estradiol, uh, but you have all these things, they need to be in ratios, they need to be in balance, right? And when we stress our body, AKA going to a diet, create a caloric deficit, exercise more. That's a stress that we place upon our system. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our body needs stress. It needs high stress at times. But the problem is people are putting their bodies through that chronically. They're always dieting. They're always doing more. And that will work for an acute period of time before you get in a negative adaptation. And the body adapts. It adapts to whatever you want to do to it. 
So over time, as you feed it less and you do more, the metabolism will slow down because the body is built to survive. So it's going to slow down all the other processes in there to do so. So metabolism slows down, thyroid output downregulates and gets lower. Your hormones, like you're a guy, your testosterone will lower to a degree. If you're a female, your estrogen progesterone ratios will start getting out of balance because progesterone will start being depleted because you're stressing your body so much. Because when we stress, cortisol levels go up, right? And that's going to affect how hormones are interacted with because cortisol is too high for too long. You can only sustain that for a certain period. And then people on top of that are typically drinking tons of caffeine, energy drinks, coffee, or whatever, because their energy is tanking. So they want that kind of hit from the caffeine. And then it's creating an artificial response. Your body can't sustain that. So it will actually start decreasing its natural cortisol production over time. And then now you can't live without your caffeine or your, your coffee or energy drinks. And just to get through the day at some point, you have no energy production because you're eating such little amounts of food and your output's so high because you're doing seven days a week of cardio. You're training in the weight room five, six days a week to try to get that physical appearance. And you keep hitting these walls and wondering why. And people are just teaching calories in, calories out. Well, now you're down to 900 calories. Yeah. Yeah, you probably could go down to 600 calories and drop a little bit more. But are you going to be able to live off 600 calories like the rest of your life? Because that's what you're doing. Because as you've done this, your metabolic rate, like your BMR, basal metabolic rate, or we, let's simplify it even more, like your maintenance calorie intake. Say it was 2,000 when you started. You lowered it. Okay, now we're at 1,500. Your body adapted. Now that 1,500 is your new maintenance intake. Mm. Now, okay, well, I got to go deeper to take more off. So now I'm going down to 1,000. You do that for a little while, your body will adapt. And now 1,000 calories is your maintenance intake. So guess what happens when you try to go back up to what you thought was your maintenance before, which was 2,000? You try to go from that to this, and then all of a sudden you gain all this fat back. And it's because you kept suppressing, suppressing, suppressing. And now you've created a new set point for your basal metabolic rate, and you've destroyed your system. Now, yes, over time when you diet, if, even if you do it smart, metabolism will slow to a degree. There's nothing wrong with that, again, as long as it's done for a short periods of time. And as long as you dieted intelligently, putting refeeds in there, taking diet breaks. But even for most people, I don't want them dieting longer than 16 weeks without a complete break. Because most people are spending more time in a deficit in a year than they are actually in maintenance or surplus. And that's what's causing the problems. I'm getting actors and actresses and talk show hosts uh, even Shaq, when Shaq came to me, he was eating two meals a day. Because like biggest question I get with him is like, because he's so big, I bet he eats a ton. Like, how much does he eat? He was eating two meals a day. I mean, the guy's crazy, obviously insanely busy. Like he's just go 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 go. Like we just talked about all the time. And even though he has a chef at home, like it's just that just was his norm to eat two meals a day. It was really hard for him to eat four meals a day when we first started working together. And we built and built and built, you know, now obviously he's in a great place at this point in time, but you know, like talk show hosts because they're go, go, go all the time. And they got to be on all the time, five days a week, six days a week on a talk show. They never turn off. And then you got actors and actresses, they're playing a role and they got to be emotional all the time. That carries over because your body 
doesn't know the difference. You're, you're being emotional, you're being sad, you know, you're crying, you're feeling empathy, whatever it may be, your body internally is gonna react that way. So guess what? Stress response is gonna kick up regardless. Then you go to your own regular life and you're dealing with all kinds of stress, who knows what it may be, whether it's you know, financial or you know, your spouse or kids or whatever, these stressors keep building and building and building and people aren't realizing this. So all these people were getting, they're just so stressed out, not eating, and then trying to look a certain way because they are on TV constantly. It's shooting themselves in the foot because now they've destroyed their health. And then they come to us. And of course, the goal is I want to lose weight or I want to lose fat. And then we have to put the foot down and be like, look, here's the reality. This is why we test those. So we show them data like this is where your health really is. Like it's, it's blood work, it's labs, it's not lying. This is what it is. So they visually see it, not just me saying mm. you need to, mm. you know, eat more, rest more, all this kind of stuff. So we can fix them. You've got to give them some kind of data to look at and yep. kind of start switching their mindset and then getting them to understand what truly is going on. And another thing that I'm commonly seeing too, with all these higher like athletes, talk show hosts, actors, whatever it is, they're all on fad diets. They've done keto, they've done fasting, they've done paleo, they've done carnivore, and they're jumping from one to the nut. And you, you see it all the time in the, in the papers, and this actress is promoting this, and this one's promoting, okay, if, it was, if all these diets were so great, why are you bouncing around to all these different ones, and you didn't just stick with one of those? Because it doesn't work. It'll work for a short period of time, yes. Yes. and then it runs its course. I don't personally like any diet that has a name. For the most part. That's a good point. Like, because there's going to be exclusion. We don't want exclusion when it comes to nutrients, especially micronutrients or any any fuel source. Like we want inclusion. There are times where keto has its place for a short duration, 100 percent But it's contextual. And that's what people are missing. They're thinking it's the next next best fat loss method. And it's not at all. And that's what's being just told all the time to these people that are unknowing because they're going to these quote unquote celebrity trainers, whatever they're calling themselves. And, you know, I don't, I would never call anybody out directly, but I see it all the time because we're seeing the backlash from all the stuff they've been put through. So I don't care to get out there and call people out. I won't do it. I'll see, you know, say somebody's name because that's not professional, but they're doing it. And it's the ones that are popular and, you know, and it is what it is and they can, say it that I'm wrong or whatever, and I'm happy to debate them one-on-one on a live podcast or whatever, and you want to get on a podcast and just professionally discuss this topic, I'll be happy to because I can know what's going to happen when we start talking about physiology and what really happens internally with the systems. They don't know because I've had these conversations behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm here to help. This is why we created the university. So they can learn, like we're giving you opportunities to improve your craft because there's too many trainers and coaches out there that don't have the knowledge base. So guess what? We're going to give you our decades of knowledge and things that we've done and the research Mm -hmm. we've done and everything we've put into our careers and give back like here, I'm not holding any secrets. Like (laughs) we put it all out there. Like here it is for you to learn. It's up to you to do it, but that's what we want for the industry. We need to improve people's lives and not just look for this quick buck. And so you can post this great picture on Instagram and get more clients that you're just gonna hurt Mm. long-term anyways. 
my background is I studied computer science and design at Stanford and was a big, that's where I met my co-founder. And I was a, we were both big biohackers, performance optimization guys. And so we were taking our engineering mindset and I was applying it to my life. I became a sub elite marathoner. I run six minute miles for the marathon, which, you know, I'm not going to win the Olympics, but I'm, I'm top 1% in wow. the, in the world, yeah. like of a given marathon, I'm, I'm finishing in the top 1%. Wow. And I got pretty good, pretty quickly, like in just a matter of a couple of years, I got pretty good by being really relentless on my, my pursuit, the, the data that I was collecting. I do a lot of a lot of tracking, right? So I'll, for instance, one of one of my classics is I'll go for a run where I won't let my heart rate go above 140 BPM. I'll go as fast as I can, as calmly as I can without letting my heart rate get above that certain point. And it's so good for you because you're, you're training your body to be like smooth and fast and you're not overexerting yourself so you can go and do it again the next day. And I could go on, like, there's a dozen different things I was doing. I was tracking everything, my glucose levels, my cadence is my foot my number of times my foot's hitting the ground per minute i was just doing anything everything i could like videotaping myself on a treadmill going through it with my personal trainer unpacking hey why is my left ankle do that one little thing how do we fix that oh you got to do a pt on your right gluteus medius to fix what's going on in your left ankle just being like very hyper optimized on every aspect of the game from nutrition to training to flexibility to recovery to everything and that was my personal life and at the same time we were building this community, this company and community around healthy and modern nutrition where, hey, how do we help everyone to be the best possible version of themselves? And we had a few different products going. We were really early in the Nootropics game. We had a, our initial brand. We had, it was called Nootrobox. It did super well. That's what we were on Shark Tank talking about. And what happened was there was this point, rewinding the clock at this point, it's 2022, rewinding the clock about five years where everyone started talking about the keto diet and bulletproof coffee. And everyone's trying to, Hey, get your ketones up, like eat low carb, do intermittent fasting. Like my co-founder and I, we fasted for a week straight. We had a massive Jeez. intermittent fasting community in wow. San Francisco. We'd fast every week for 36 hours and break our fast together. It was a ball. We were doing all these biohacker things. And what kept coming back around from my marathon training, from, what was just in the zeitgeist with the fasting that we were doing with bulletproof coffee and the keto diet, the word ketone kept coming up. Everyone's like doing all these things to get into ketosis. And my co-founder and I, we asked the kind of dumb smart question, which is like, okay, everyone's trying to get their ketones up. If ketones are so cool, why can't you go to the store and buy a ketone? Like, why can't I, why can't I just go drink a ketone? Good call. Like I can go eat collagen. I can go get caffeine. I can get whey protein. I can get CBD. Like, Everyone's trying to get their mm -hmm. ketones up. Like, why can't you just go eat one, drink one, whatever. And pulling on that thread, it's one of those like simple, but smart questions. Like when you talk to like a fifth grader and they just ask you something really profound and say, Hey, why, yeah, why can't we do that? And then, I mean, dot, dot, dot from there in 2017, we launched the world's first ketone drink. It wasn't an overnight thing. It took a lot of work, but we basically followed that line of thinking to its conclusion brought ketone version one out to the market. Our first big customer on that was the Department of Defense, Special Operations Command. We got a multi-million dollar contract going with them. And we were just working with elite operators for the last several years. And then earlier this year, we, we released V2 where we brought down the price by two thirds. We made it taste a lot less crazy. It still tastes a little crazy. 
we own it. It tastes a little crazy, but it used to taste super oh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, and now it's at a spot where, yeah, we're just talking about, yeah, we're getting, we're, this is getting into gyms, stores, we're, it's flying on Amazon, on our website, hvmn.com. And it's, it's cool to see just brick by brick. You know, we started with elite operators, very expensive niche product. The vision has always been, hey, ketones are cool. Everyone should be able to walk into a store and, and buy a ketone and get all these benefits for, for mental clarity, for appetite control, all those things that people love about. You know, a lot of people love the keto diet. It's very hard to do. I don't do the full-on keto diet myself. It's very hard to do. But a lot of the benefits that people like, the mental clarity, the appetite control, why shouldn't you have access to that? Why shouldn't you be able to just go and drink a ketone? 